morning, everyone. So the first reading is uh, Genesis 1, verse 26-28, and then the first 17 verses of uh, chapter 2. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had, God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pison. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic, resin, and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Kush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Great. So we are busy working through a series at the moment. Ludwig kicked us off last week. Uh, We are looking at Genesis, and we're running through that. Last week we started with uh, beginnings, and he was just doing the introduction in one sense, the the creation account, and looking at how how God created everything. And uh, first of all, uh, 
I wasn't able to be in the service, but I did listen to it, and it was a good sermon. He, he gave us some fantastic context. And just to remind us again, we, as we're sitting here, we, we are here in Somerset West, but, but Genesis was written in a context, in a time, in a, in a certain era as things were happening. And, and you'll find that it was written during, uh, in the time of the ancient Near East, uh, or A&E. And, and in that time, you had a bunch of different beliefs, different thoughts and things happening and moving around. Uh, Ludwig made mention of the Enuma Elisha. And what that was, was another creation account. Um, and in one sense, it's phenomenal to see that there is similarities, but in the same sense, how different God's word is. The creation account was not like this. Our creation account that we have is phenomenal. Uh, and to recap, maybe just three points that Ludwig pointed out, um, if, if this will jog your memory just a little bit, is that God is a good creator. Uh, he is the center of it as he creates. He's a good creator. Um, and God has a great concern, and his concerns are order, uh, purpose, and life. And then the third thing that... Ludwig pointed out for us is, in one sense, that man is the crown of God's creation, uh, but not perfect. So as he created it, man was good, but not perfect. Uh, Not yet. So we need that in the back of our mind, and and it's difficult to just preach a piece out of Genesis because it, it flows and it links and it connects itself so well with each and every aspect of it. So this morning, I really hope that we're able to carry on with that and that you can see what was mentioned last week or even just those three points that I mentioned now, how it carries on into this next section as we're looking at man uh, being made in God's image uh, to rule, as rule. Cool. So let's close our eyes and let's commit this time to the Lord. Uh, Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you are the creator of all things. And that as we sit here this morning, we are part of your creation. And we are not just another aspect, but we are an aspect that has been made in your image. That as we sit here, we are part of your creation that is to glorify your name, to reflect you. And Lord, I pray that as we read through your word, as we learn, as we dig into it this morning, that we may see the importance of who you are. Uh, in light of who you are to, to your people, the, the nation of Israel, and as well as to us today. And Lord, I pray that you open our hearts to receive your word, your truth, the life that you have to offer us. All in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. So, as we dig into the passage this morning, I'm not going to just I'm not going to read through the whole thing again. But we see a creation account of man outside of the creation account that we went through last week, and this time round, there's this zooming in a bit more on man having been made, and we see it picked up in in chapter two, how there is this there is man. And the earth is not yet where it, where it is 
um, as we perceive in the creation account. But nonetheless, God is busy creating man uh, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But before we go into that, I think it was so important what, what Ludwig did show us last week is that as this was being written to the, to the hearer, to the reader of this, and, and those that would understand this, they understood God firstly as a savior and then as a creator. If you remember Ludwig saying that, I thought that was such a profound thing because it's so true. We forget that as Genesis was accounted for, they had first been saved out of Egypt. They, the Israelites were saved out of Egypt and they knew God as Savior. And then this was accounted. Uh, Moses was said to have written this and recorded this, but it was after they had been saved. So keep that in the back of your mind as we go through. And, and I think we're going to keep going back to that as well to some degree as we work through the series, that there is a different order of things. We always see God as the creator God and then Savior. But God has been the Savior and then He's Savior and creator. Um, and you can't separate them. But there's definite significance to the people that were hearing this and learning from it and understanding it, that they saw God as a Savior, a good God, a saving God. And then a creator God. So as we go, let's read just verses 26 to 28 again of Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So I want to focus in and just zoom in on this just a little bit this morning because this is this is what God has made. God has made a man in the image of him. God has created us in his image. And just to give you a little bit more perspective of just how it was seen that God was a create was a savior and a creator God. If we just flip to Psalms, you I can read it for us if you want to follow Psalm 8. David recalls this creation, this creation account, but he does it in a strange way because he also understands this order. And just listen to his words. And I think Phil slipped out now, but I think Phil was right. The word is majestic, because uh, even David uses that word as we record it, recall it, um, magnificent and majestic. So here's here's the. Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foes and the avenger. Notice David's focus there. He starts by focusing on what he has done, what God has done, that God has used enemies to even be glorified. And so he starts us off at that point, but then he recounts. 
He recalls that God is a good God, a creator God. When I consider your heavens and work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's a beautiful psalm. Absolutely beautiful. And you see how it retells in one sense what we've read this morning. This Genesis account. This account of how God has risen up a man, risen up man in his image to rule over his creation. So what I'm going to try and do this morning, and I've put it there on the on the outline. Um, so as we look at God who creates man to rule over all things, I want us to just see a bit of a pattern. Um, so I've tried to do a bit of a diagram there. And I'm going to just explain that quickly. I want us to just see this pattern that's, that there is. Uh, we start with man in the image of God. Here in, in Genesis 1, um, where God creates man in his image. And this is the intended image. It's before the fall, before man has fallen away. But, but man is not yet perfect, but he is good. He's, in fact, at the point in which God has created man, God looks back at his creation, and when he's done with creating man, he says it is very good. And so, as we move on, we see that there is a fall, and, and that we will touch on later on as we work through the rest of Genesis. But there is a fall, and, and we can't, as I say, we can't look at just one aspect without seeing the bigger picture, seeing what's around this creation, this aspect of his, his creation. And so there's the fall uh, in sin. And I, I put there in brackets, it's a quick descent. It was incredibly quick. One minute they were okay, the next minute they were not. It's quick. Uh, and then we move. And I did it intentionally that way around, uh, to have it at the bottom, because I thought, quick descent, man's at the bottom, Christ had to come down to us as a man and to die for us, die on the cross, rise again. Uh, but Christ coming and dying on the cross for us was in fulfillment. And it was to restore his creation, to restore man back into the image uh, that God had intended us to be. But you see, the restored, uh, to be restored to glory is the gradual process. I mean, some of you, maybe you like running, maybe you like cycling or hiking or whatever it is. You know that hiking and running and cycling takes a long time up, but it's quick down. And I think that's what frustrates me about doing a lot of those things. I can't handle it with my knees going downhill too quickly if I'm running. It hurts. But, but it's quick to go down. Uh, but it takes time, hard work to get up. But Christ has come. And he is busy restoring us back 
which is a process for us as we are here on earth. What he has done is immediate for, for his, his work that he has done is immediate. But for us to get there takes time through being sanctified, through being challenged and through our faith being worked out in our lives. And I just want to pick up on Philippians. So just so that you don't think that my diagram is complete nonsense. Uh, Philippians 3 verse 20, I put that at the bottom there, 20 and 21. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await our Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Isn't that beautiful? He will change us into his image, into the image that is Christ. And the reason why I've given this as the backdrop to the sermon this morning is if you look at the world around, who, who watches the news, reads the newspaper? I, the, my confession is that I don't do it nearly enough. Uh, anybody else do it? Yes? Who enjoys watching the news or reading the newspaper for all the things that's going on? Who enjoys it? Okay, we've got one at least. But it's, there's difficult things that we hear about, things that get your blood pressure boiling and it, it gets to us because we're living in a world that is broken. We're living in a world that when you turn on the TV, you see things that just you feel shouldn't be, don't feel right. You have countries waging war on other countries you got people abusing other people. you got people exploiting the world's resources. It's there. It's all around us. And just step outside here this morning, and it's there. It's in your face. The reality that this world is not quite right. Something is wrong. And if we said, whose fault is it, what would the answer be? If you said, open the newspaper or listen to the news and ask the question, whose fault is that? What would your go-to answer be? Would it be, it's my fault? Or would you say, no, 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 it's that guy's fault that did it. It's his fault. Look at him. Or would you avoid even dealing with our own, our own humanity and say, well, no, 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 it's God's fault. You have people that do it. You have people that can't deal with what is happening in the world and can't own up to it that they'll rather blame God for our own destruction. But I challenge us that the next time that we see something, we're reminded to just look in the mirror for a moment, that we're not exempt from it. That we ourselves are the cause to much of the problem. As human race, we are 
cause to the decay of this world. Because God has given us an, a, a mandate. He gave us a mandate when He created us. He asked us to rule over His creation. But unfortunately, we're not doing a good job. We're not doing a good job because we are fallen. We are sinful. We are broken. And so that is why I wanted to put this diagram there, because as we are working through Genesis, we're going to see that, yes, man has fallen, and that leads us to having to look look to Christ. And I can't look at man having the authority and the position of ruling outside of the fall and all the other things that Genesis points out. We are created and called by God to rule over all creation, but we are destroying it. We're exploiting it. I mean, if we look further on just in Genesis 2, this is 1 through to 17 that we read this morning. You see there this, this language of responsibility, this language of care. Now understand when, I, when we say rule, we so often think dictate and, and govern with an iron fist. And that's how it has changed. And, and the language does change as you read through the, through the Old Testament, that the idea of rule becomes more of a forceful thing. Because the way God has intended it to be was a rule through care. You have a responsibility to rule over, to care for, to look after what I have given you. So we're actually doing the reverse of what God has actually intended it to be. We have flipped it. We think it's, it's to show authority and power and force over what he has given us. Because we can. But instead he has called us to care for. To look after. And that's what you get when you look at Genesis 2. You see that unfolding. You see that idea that there God placed man in this garden, this, this beautiful oasis, this marvelous place, and given him all that he needs, and all he needs to do is tend to it, look after it. But things don't stay perfect, don't stay good for us for long enough. Because for us, Enough is not enough. Good enough is not good enough. We always want more. We always want better. And so we start to abuse that. But we're not stuck there. We, sitting here this morning, we are not stuck in that position. Because we can shift beyond it. We can shift out of that and demonstrate to the world that that's not what we're called to. But we can't just do that out of uh, recognizing the responsibility. So as we read Genesis, we can't go, okay, fine, 
Bible says I mustn't ruin this world. I must rather love the world, look after it. Cool. It's not enough. A lot of people can do that. And a lot of people do. They look at the word or, or they have some understanding of God's word but don't ascribe to it and say all we need to do is then take care of this earth. Then that's fine. We're doing the right job. That's okay. But that's not enough. Because either that is wrapped up in your own gain or your own motivation and rather than the driving force being Christ. And that he is setting us apart. That he is changing us and that he is restoring us to his image, to what he wants us to be. So simply recognizing our responsibility as humans is not enough. But it is to recognize it in Christ. That it is through Christ that we change the way we live, the way we do And when you go out into the workplace, even in that environment, the way you have responsibilities there, it changes when you become a Christian because no longer are you ruling with iron fist and being a boss if you're a boss or you're rebelling against a boss because he's a boss. But you see things differently because you understand that you are there to serve or you're there to care and to, to provide a reflection of who Christ is. That every circumstance that we have outside in the world is an opportunity to reflect who God is. And the thing that really just struck me as I was working through this topic and this part of Genesis is that God created us in his image. Now, that might sound like what you've been hearing the whole time. You're saying, okay, Sean, I get that. But God created us in his image. No other image but his, firstly. And when I thought about that, I couldn't help but have the the same thought words that Ludwig used last week run through my head, that if God created us in his image, then he created us with purpose. He created us with the intention of order. And he created us with the intention of life. This is part of who We are when we become the image of God. But it's not enough just that. Because God has created us with something else. And in Ephesians, Paul picks up on that and he says that we are created in the image of God. And that image is of righteousness and holiness. That is what God is intending us to be. God's image bears that mark of righteousness and holiness. And so the image that we bear in sinfulness is marred. It's God's image that has been marred. Because we don't bear the image of righteousness and holiness as we should. 
And so we need Christ to restore us. We need Christ to transform our lives. And we need Christ in order to become the correct image. And we will fail and we will stumble and still fall. And that's kind of why I left that other arrow making you feel like this thing is running in a loop when you look at that image again. Because we're going to be going through the process of being reminded. Now, it doesn't mean that Christ keeps, keeps dying for you. Don't get me wrong. But I want you to see that process. That you might get to a point where you start getting close and then you realize, hang on, I'm proud. Back at the bottom. And then you get to the top again and you go, okay, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And then the next thing comes in. And, then, and so you are being refined. And so God is working out in you, restoring you to the image that he intends you to be. So I've put on the page, take homes. And I've been thinking about this because I don't want it to just be a message that goes, fantastic, thanks, that was great. I want you to take something home and really wrestle with it. Work through it. And I've, in one sense, I've given four steps just of thinking, just of working through, just, just to ask yourself these questions. and Maybe it will challenge you a little bit. Uh, maybe you haven't thought about it before. But I said here, yeah, the, first, the first thing. Firstly, as we learned last week with what Ludwig was showing us, we must recognize that God gives everything that he is inclined to bring order, purpose, and life, and that he is a good God that makes only good things. And he is in control, and we are not. Do we agree with that? Do we agree that God is in control? We are not. He has a plan and a purpose. He is life-giving. He's a good God. If we can say yes to that, then we can move on to the next one. So secondly, we must decide whether we believe that we are made in the image of God. So now in light of what the first one says, do you believe that you are created in his image? Though you might have fallen, though you might have sin in your life, do you believe nonetheless that as you sit here today, something in you bears the mark of God in your life? That God created you with an intention. And if you can say yes to that, well then let's go to the third one. If we recognize that we are, it is made clear then that we are not living in the way that God had originally created us to be. Because if we believe that God is good, and that we bear a mark, but we are not, something is wrong. I mean, it's very simple. It's all I'm trying to do is get us to think through just these simple things. So that we can get to this fourth one. That we must confess our sinfulness. And turn to Christ and strive for Him and be sanctified. That our lives need to be changed. Because this is what's going to go out into the world. It's going to permeate out into the world as Christians. As we walk out into the world, our lives bear a different mark to the rest of the world. Our lives begin to reflect something else. Where the world is exploiting we all begin caring. Not because, as we said, it's the right thing to do, but because of Christ and who He is and who, who He is as our Savior and our Lord. 
So the last thing that I just, I want us to reflect on. The last point there on the page. I said, our role is to serve God as we live here on earth. We have been given the responsibility to rule over all things. But God is still Lord over all. Our responsibility reminds us of the God who is. God has given us the responsibility to rule, but God is still in control. Just because we have a responsibility doesn't mean we are above Him, over Him, can manipulate Him, can control Him. No, no, no. We're still under Him, serving Him. I mean, the psalmist, David, he he gets it so right when he says, Who is man that you are mindful of him? You will even consider him still. As Phil pointed out earlier on, how he's so in awe about how small we are. And the psalmist gets the same idea. God is still Lord over all. So our responsibility then reminds us, our responsibility to rule over things is just a reminder to us of the God that is. And He is the God that is in control. He is the God that truly reigns, truly rules, truly leads, truly loves, truly cares, truly saves. That's the God we serve. So we are going to come around the Lord's table in a little bit. But allow that to go through your mind. That even as we reflect on our hearts, maybe we hold on to things and maybe we struggle with things. But remember that you're serving a God that is in control. And a God that saves. A God that restores. A God that loves And we need to know those things as we come around the Lord's table. So what good is it to us if we don't believe those things, if we don't know those things? And if those things don't challenge us and move us into a new area of our life, where we are not governed by those things. And that we are set free to serve, to love in the power of Christ. So let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you have created us in your image. We are created in the image of the creator of all things. That you are in control of all things. And that you have sent your Son to save this broken man, this broken state that we find ourselves in. That you were willing to consider that, that we needed you so desperately. So Lord, as we also come around your table this morning, 
may we be reminded of the God that we serve. And who are we to hold judgment against others? Who are we to rule out of force and fear and any of that sort of thing? Who are we to hold people in contempt? Who are we to dictate? No, Lord. Help us to reflect on our hearts, to recognize the change that needs to take place. That can only happen through the inner working of your spirit and through the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.